Hi, welcome to Inside Stories. I'm Jen. And I'm Tequila. Here in our podcast, we'll feature one storyteller from one of Madison's live storytelling events. And one of the reasons why we're featuring only stories that are told live is there's something about the energy in a room when a storyteller tells a story in front of a whole bunch of people. Um, and so we're going to invite in, we're going to play a story and invite that storyteller in to talk to them. Yep. And we'll talk to them about the background of the story and break down the storytelling a little bit and get some commentary um, to deepen the story. Great. Uh, so this is our second episode, and we have Brendan Pankey with us here in the studio. So Brendan Pankey, he told this story, um, I think it was June of 2016, at the Moth Story Slam here in Madison at the Heinen Saloon. And I don't remember what the theme was that night. Do you remember, Brendan? I think Father's for Father's Day. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a story about your father. That. Well, I, I remember, too, my, uh, my friend Ben won that night with oh. his story about uh, his dad. Yeah, that was, I remember that story. That was a great story. So, um, so Brandon and I actually do, um, a lot of storytelling workshops around Madison. And so, um, I know he's gonna have a lot to say about how he put together his story. So first we're gonna listen to it. Hey, I didn't know it, uh, but my experience with death began the night before Thanksgiving, 1996. Uh, my family had gotten in late to my grandparents. And while my mom and sister went upstairs uh, to get ready for bed, I stayed downstairs in the kitchen with my dad, and we had uh, cookies and milk. Hydrox cookies, the original cheaper version of Oreos. (laughs) Then uh, we told each other, I love you, and good night. And I went down into the basement where I slept amongst cobwebs, and he went upstairs. And the next time I saw my dad was Thanksgiving morning as he was wheeled out of a gurney on a gurney out of the house. Uh, uh, but he was gone already. He was gone. It was, uh, he had had an aneurysm. And so that began uh, a relationship of absence for me with my dad. Because uh, that, that, that day we decided to shut off the life support machines and, and then he really was gone. And uh, in 1996, I was in eighth grade. So I was just at the point where I was going to get to know my, starting to know my dad as an adult. And, uh, and, and that was gone. And all that was left were stories, which is great, but that's not the direct experience you want from your parents. And, uh, and objects, which, which fade and break and fray and you throw them away. So I spent my teen years and uh, most of my 20s just wishing that my dad was alive. Because I thought that if I got rid of the biggest problem in my life, that everything else would just be great, just, just fine. Then about three years ago, I was set to become a parent myself. Uh, and I got hungry again for an experience, a direct experience of my dad. And so every time we would go to my mom's house, uh, we'd be sitting and, and having dinner or, uh, or just sitting around in the, in the backyard. I, and then I would get up and I would go inside and I would just start taking apart one of her closets, just in this mad search for something that he had left behind, some artifact. My mom had a bunch of closets with a bunch of stuff. There was all these sewing patterns and all these crappy games and all these blankets, and I just, I tore through everything looking for something. And I I didn't tell anybody what I was doing because I I felt like this was a fruitless search. Uh, But then I, I actually hit the jackpot 
And, and somewhere in that house, I found these two sheets of um, folded yellow legal pad. And I could already see this, the, that cobalt blue pen through there that he would always use. And this, this intensely neat cursive that I, there's no way I'm ever going to become close to it, except for the big old loop on the J and the, and the loop on the P, which I, I had tried so hard to emulate. And I was really lucky because this wasn't just like a tax document or, uh, you know, like the, the, uh, the shopping list where I'm going to spend my entire time as a father just buying canned peas and beans because that's what was on my dad's last shopping list. Um, there were two, two letters. Uh, and one letter was to my dog, uh, my first dog, Ginger, on the occasion of her being put down because she had bit the neighbor. And it was a thank you note. Uh, he wrote a thank you to Ginger for being my friend when nobody else was my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other one was an apology note to me, and I don't remember the occasion for this. Maybe it was the time at the dinner table when he called me a bouvier until I cried because he was trying to prove me that uh, sticks and stones can't break your bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, but it was an apology, and, and it was two lines, and it was, uh, I know I'm really hard on you sometimes, and I'm sorry I was hard on you last night, and I don't remember what that was about. But I, from these two notes, I took this uh, into my fatherhood and girded myself with this idea that uh, always be thankful and always be ready to apologize. Um, but I didn't like fatherhood. Uh, I didn't like it at all. I, I loved my son. I would tell people, I, I love my son but I don't like being a dad. Uh, it's, it's just awful. <laughs> but then just last week, uh, my wife was out of town, so I was solo parenting. And I'm the stay-at-home parent, too. So uh, I was solo parenting. And we were in bed, and I was reading to him, and we got, we got blindsided by one of these books, these kids' books that uh, don't tell you, like, this one's going to be full of death. Right? And so the, the bear in the zoo dies. And you're like, I got to deal with this. And I had tears coming down my cheeks. And he got stuck in one of these three-year-old why loops. Why, why dying? And what is dying? And why? And I wasn't scared. And I wasn't frustrated. And I was excited. I was, I was happy to be there. Because together, he and I were going to work on this. And we're going to find some way for him to be a little better prepared than I was. And I thought back to that time in my life when all I wanted was my dad back. And I, and I lost a lot when he died. But in that time since then, I've gained a lot too. And I thought that, you know, if somebody said, you can have your dad back, I don't know what my answer would be back now because I've earned a lot and I don't know if I'd give it up for anything. Not even my dad. Thank you. Um. So um, I've heard you tell a lot of stories, and um, I didn't. It took me a little bit way through the story to sort of remember because it was like two two years ago when you told the story. But um, the the line that I think really stuck out to me then and did again now was when you're sort of you know in bed with your son and you have this sort of funny line, which is true about these you know zoo books that blindside you with you know every horrible thing that you know can happen to a mammal. Um, and then you talk about how this would be a chance for your son to be better prepared 
you know, in case one of his parents dies the way you did. And so I think that's like this incredible moment. And so in terms of like how you sort of constructed that story, do you remember just how you decided you were going to get, get us to that moment? Yeah. So I had told a version of that story that, um, when I started like actually just going to storytelling nights in Madison. So the very first Madison storytellers I went to, um, it had been started by some uh, other people. Uh, that's the, a version of that is the first story I ever told, but it was, it was much longer. It was like 10 minutes and, and my son hadn't been born yet. So I, I had no actual experience with, uh, fatherhood and, um, I, I was just like speculating about, uh, what it was. And, um, it took me about 10 minutes to tell it <laughs> because I had a lot more asides. Uh, but the thing, right. When you have the time limit, uh, you, you start to cut off more and more extraneous stuff and kind of hone in on, on that. And so I had the piece of that story that's about, um, uh, death. And I, and I modified it too. Cause, uh, when the first time I told it, uh, Lou Reed had just died. And so I used that as an opener because, uh, Laurie Anderson, his longtime partner had this thing about death. Um, when he died, like she was like holding him as he did Tai Chi and he like was accepting the end of everything. And, uh, I played it for laughs more then. So I think I played it, uh, harder for laughs originally. And so I kind of, I cut those things away and, um, tried to boil it down to kind of just what I remembered most. And then it was, I mean, most of my life was at that time, um, what was just parenting, and, um, I had just had that experience. We had just like, we were in a run of death books there for like surprise death books. There's this other one about like this family of beavers who lived by the ocean and, uh, dad was just gone sailing. And then like, sh you know, like halfway through, I started to dawn on me. I was like, oh no, dad isn't just gone sailing. Like dad is dead. And, <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to have to get through this, but it, this one wasn't so much. Uh, uh, that one wasn't so heavy as, as this one in particular, cause like there were polar bear friends and stuff. The line that stuck out to me was when you said you love your kids, but you hate parenting. I'm going to say, yeah. I would have to agree with you. <laughs> um, yeah. so as you were reading that, the book to your kid, and I know, um, you were talking about how you found the letters from your dad. Um, did it kind of give you an idea of what your dad, um, must have been feeling with you as a kid. Like, you know, he talked about the dog in the letter and thanks for being his friend. Yeah. Did that give you kind of some perspective on fatherhood? Yeah, I think so too. And I think also um, suddenly in the past few years, uh, my mom and my sister and I have like been talking much more explicitly like about my dad um, and uh, more about uh, probably his faults. Uh, than we did necessarily before. Um, before, uh, it was like all these these crazy legends um, from when he from like his friends, like uh, uh, stories about like escaping across the Canadian border on on the way back uh, to Montana, just trying to get back, 
and uh, like running the border and getting chased by border patrol and stories about uh, convincing people in Montana that this forest fire was really a volcano and like all these just kind of like folk tales and fables and and stuff that there was no way uh, I could ever live up to <laughs> like constructing my life and uh, so I think as I uh, became a parent and started to like grind down some of the edges on like these mountains of stories and kind of hone in on what what I knew about him uh, and then talk more about that and and him like the fact that in that story I say his last shopping list but he never wrote a shopping list <laughs> right <laughs> like uh, my mom was saying that he, she she asked him to cook once a week and he would just always order pizza or something like that and um, last night uh, in preparation for this, I listened to this story again, and my son was with me, and I got to the part. I got to the part that you just mentioned about me being like, I didn't like being a dad, and he was like, Well, that's not true, and I was like, Well, no, actually, it's true. I mean, I really, I love you, and you're great, but it's it's really hard a lot. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard, and I was like, That's not you. That's all kids. <laughs> uh, one thing that um, Tequila brought it up that reminded me. Um, so the the letter where your dad thanked the dog. Yeah. The thing that I thought was interesting about that, I mean, as someone who also d didn't you, have a whole lot of friends when I was younger, and you don't think about this when you're a kid, but as a parent, you start to think about it, which is it's almost as hard for your parents to see that than it is for you to experience it, that you don't know that. So I thought, actually thought that was a really interesting detail. It was very interesting um, because... Uh, my, my experience growing up was, uh, I, I did have a lot of trouble making friends and I had a lot of trouble with bullies, but my parents really didn't know what to do about it. And, uh, there was a lot of that, like sticks and stones, uh, words will never hurt me talk, uh, which, uh, was not true <laughs> at all is not true. Um, and, uh, I had a lot of trouble it, with it up until, uh, the, the, until my dad's death and then kind of, uh, taking a minute to reassess who I was and, and what people, I was allowing people to do to me and, uh, what I wanted from life. And, um, that's really kind of like the, the genesis of that, the end of that one where like I've earned a lot, um, from this, like uh, I had this opportunity from his death um, to turn that into something good in my life, like what I got from it. Um, and so that, I think that started all the way back there. And, and this was another story of mine. I have this commonly where I've, I try to tell them a few times before I find out what they're really about for me. Mm -hmm. And so this one, um, uh, like that, that moment with my son, uh, in bed with that book, kind of that, that um, let it coalesce and let me see what that story was about so I could get to that end point. I have one last question. It's only because um, even, um, so our first episode, mm -hmm. or our only other episode, <laughs> we interviewed Esteban, and we talked a little bit about um, sort of humor and stories. And so the thing that struck me with this, and, and um, I think I actually sort of quoted you, although I didn't attribute it to you, <laughs> where, um, you know, when we're doing storytelling workshops about, you know, 
be careful when you put in jokes, the audience might not laugh, but then the opposite is true also. Right. And so your dad, Mm -hmm. so your dad said this thing, I think it was about, you know, your dog wasn't really a friend and and everyone laughed. And Mm -hmm. I think as they were laughing, I think they realized, Oh, yeah, it's not funny. Right. You know, and so like, how do you, you probably don't remember because it was two years ago, but like, how do you deal with that? You're like, they just laughed at my, my pain, you know? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'll take a laugh wherever I can get it. <laughs> That's definitely like the place I'm most, uh, comfortable with is, um, uh, I really like switching between the two as well. I, I like the moments, um, like in this story where I kind of front load it with a, f- a few things that, uh, were f- the funniest stuff is usually in the front and then it get it gets pretty quiet in the middle, uh, from the audience and actually just listening to it. Uh, that's, that's really kind of my measure of how well I was doing telling the story. Like how quiet did the audience get in the, in the middle? And, uh, and that always feels real good. Like when they kind of settle, settle down and, and really focus in on you and, uh, and then to bring them up out of that too, to somewhere where they laugh, even if it was, uh, unintentional or, um, it, it, yeah, it, it feels good to get him there. And it's hard too, because, um, to remember when I'm just telling the story, because when I'm telling it, I'm also, I think a pretty animated teller. And so there's a lot with like body language and facial expression and, um, intonation that, that I do that I think can uh, either highlight things or undercut them in a different direction than maybe the words are going. That's something a lot of storytellers miss, too, is using the audience as a part of the story and building the story around. If they react this way, then mm-hmm. move the tone that way. Like you talked about it. Get them yeah. quiet. You know you have their attention. You know they're focusing, and you can pull them either direction you want to. That's a pretty unique thing to be aware of and be able to do as you craft the story. Do you have any um, tips for folks on how to do that? She talked mm-hmm. about the unexpected laugh, and sometimes you get the laugh that lasts longer than you want to. Yeah, yeah, you got to take the break. Uh, well, I mean, I just have a lot of stage experience. So I've been performing on stage around Madison for like 12 years. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, yeah, like 14 years. And I performed some before that. And a lot of my background, right, was, um, was I performed and ran Atlas Improv for a number of years. And then I, um, went to the, um, the, the big deuce, the comedy, uh, open mic at the comedy club on state for a few years too, pretty heavily. And so I got, I just got a lot of practice on paying attention to the audience and, uh, picking up cues. And then, um, I think what I'm especially good at noticing is if something's not working, I'm really willing to toss it and try to come up with new material because because of all my improv experience i'm really uh comfortable also uh, trying to like spin out new material that's in the same realm um and sometimes it works for me uh other times it just gets me into trouble because i'm just um babbling at that point uh well Thanks for coming in and talking about your story. And I just want to say, I think by the time anyone can hear this, it might be past the date. But Brandon and I um, do every couple months, we do free storytelling workshops at the Bubbler in Madison. And so Brandon always makes Facebook events about it. Mm -hmm. So if you like 
Madison Storytellers on Facebook. Yeah. Um, you will be able to see when the events are. And and um, once we get our episodes lined up with the calendar in a way that works, like follows the calendar, I'll be letting people know through this podcast when our next ones are. Great. So thanks a lot. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having me. Sure. We have a couple questions we ask um, folks just for fun. Um, what's your favorite activity to do in the Madison area? Uh, oh, right now, uh, my favorite thing to do is at, at this time of year, actually, it's the time when I can get rid of my like old, slow, gross bike that I use in the winter. And now I'm on like my fast bike and I can get around town super fast at like my own schedule and not having to wait on the bus. And I love that. I want to give a special thanks to Richard Jones and Ali Arrange Media. This is our second podcast, so please subscribe and share with your network of friends and help us get the word out. So you can also contact us at our email is insidestoriespodcast at gmail.com. And we hope to feature stories told live in a variety of venues around Madison. So if you know of any things that are coming up or, and think we should know about it, just send us an email and uh, we'll follow up with it. So thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening.